Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed, and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. Good morning. Our reading for today comes from Deuteronomy 30. We're reading verses 1 to 20, which is the whole chapter, so buckle up. We're reading from the English Standard Version. Repentance and forgiveness. And when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among the nations where the Lord your God has driven you, and return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice in all that I command you today, with all your heart and with all your soul, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you, and he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will take you. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land that your fathers possessed, that you may possess it. And he will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that you may live. And the Lord your God will put all these curses on your foes and enemies who persecuted you. And you shall again obey the voice of the Lord and keep all his commandments that I commanded you today. The Lord your God will make you abundantly prosperous in all the work of your hand, in the fruit of your womb and in the fruit of your cattle and in the fruit of the ground. For your Lord will again take delight in prospering you as he took delight in your father's when you obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes that are written in the book of the law, when you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. The choice of life and death. For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and who will bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? The word is very near to you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering into to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob to give them. Thank you, Kate. 
Why don't you, while I set something up, turn to the person next to you and discuss, I know there's a lot of that today, um, what's the hardest decision you've had to make in your life? What's the hardest decision you've ever had to make? I'll bring it back to the front. Moses, what Moses has done here, he's, he's put before the Israelites a decision to make. Life and death, good and evil, blessings and curses. It's quite a significant and confronting uh, choice, a passage. And uh, this comes at the, like, towards the end of, of Deuteronomy. We're nearing the end of our series. These are the words. The, the sermon that Moses preached to the Israelite people in the plain, plains of Moab as they're about to enter into the promised land. They'd been uh, traveling, um, wandering the desert for 40 years after God had delivered them from Egypt and, and he'd given them the law and established a covenant of a relationship with his people. And they wandered for 40 years. They, they got to the edge. They were about to go in. But Moses gives one last stirring sermon, preaches his heart out to the Israelite people to, to renew the covenant, to tell them about the nature of their relationship with God, to remind them of their history, that they are chosen not because they're a great nation, not because they've done great things, but because God loves them. He, he reminds them of the law that they have been given and, and kind of unpacks how that they would live it out in the land they're about to enter. And over the last few weeks, uh, in 28, 29, and 30, he reminds them of the covenant. He reestablishes this covenant relationship with his people. He unpacks the, the blessings for obedience and the curses for disobedience in, 20, in 28. In 29, he reminds them of the nature of their covenant relationship with, uh, with, between Israel and God. And here, in chapter 30, we get to what is probably... And, and well regarded within Christian circles, the most significant passage in the Old Testament, and after spending so much time in this week, I would say in the whole Bible, but I tend to say that of whatever I'm preaching on. <laughs> <laughs> and one way, like one way to understand Deuteronomy 30 is the gospel according to Moses. We've, in the Bible, we've got the gospel, the good news about Jesus, the good news according to John, the gospel of Mark, Matthew, and Luke. What we have here is the gospel according to Moses. How is it that the Israelite people will be saved? The gospel according to Moses. And what he does is he, he looks into Israel's future. He kind of anticipates that they're going to fail. We'll, we'll talk about that. And he, he shares how God will restore Israel. What is their future hope? But then he brings it back to the present and he gives them a present choice. So will you choose to obey or disobey? Will you choose life or will you choose death? And for us, as we, as we read this and, and, and study it, we're living in that future that Moses talks about. We're living 
in the, the, the restoration that Moses promises. That's us. But we're also faced with the same present choice. Will we choose life or will we choose death? So we'll look at that future repentance and restoration and then the present choice. So if you have your Bibles open, we'll, we'll, we'll work through this um, quite closely. I was sharing with someone, this is such a significant passage. I feel a bit um, intimidated by this scripture because I really want to do a really good sermon on this really, really important passage. But I was talking to someone yesterday about that. But then, then I realized, I don't want you to hear what I have to say of this text. I want you to hear the voice of God through this scripture. So if you have a Bible or if you have a phone, open up um, the app, the Bible app. Or grab, better yet, go outside into the Bible drawer. Grab a physical Bible so you're not distracted by notifications. Read along with me. There's no notifications on this. It's great. Uh, what happened? Let, let's work through this. So verse 30. And when all these things, sorry, chapter 30, verse 1. When all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse, which I've set before you. Let's pause there already. Moses anticipates that Israel will fail. Israel will fail. This is at the end of this long speech of unpacking the law and um, sharing about what Israel are meant to do and, and calling them to faithfulness and then sharing blessings, and conditional blessings. If you, if you obey, you'll have life. But if you disobey, there'll be curses that will come upon you. And those curses get progressively worse and worse and from um, uh, pestilence and uh, you know, all that kind of thing, war to they get uh, sieged by another country, and then they get exiled. So like this escalating separation from God. And then in 29, it kind of shares, towards the end of that passage, it talks about how they will experience those curses. And then 30, it says, when all these things come upon you. Calling out that Israel will fail. Israel will reject God. And it's kind of funny, you know, Moses is preaching and he's, in a way, he's giving a motivational talk and motivating Israel to obey. But at the end of, this, end of it, he says, but you won't do it anyway. Like imagine a motivational talk and, you know, it, a TED talk or whatever. And we get a lot of those. We see a lot of those in our lives. At the end of it, it's like, well, it doesn't matter because you're not going to listen to me anyway. Everything I've said is, is pointless because you're just going to go do your own thing anyway. You're going to go after the other gods. You're going to go uh, and disobey everything we've shared. He anticipates Israel will fail. And there's a sense that Israel, they know what they should do. They know what they need to do. It's not hard. Obey God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. To obey God's law is not hard. We, we know what we should do, yet we don't do it. There was this... Um, uh, psychologist and, and philosopher, a writer, Jacob Needleman, and he wrote this uh, really interesting book called Why Can't We Be Good? And his thesis, which I thought was really funny um, and, and, and cutting and insightful, is effectively, we've got all these self-help books out there. Like, there's no shortage of books that will tell us what we should do to get the good life. The thing is, is like his argument is, we know what we should do. Like, information is not the problem. 
but we just don't do it. There's something deeper going on, a deeper issue, a deeper problem. We lack the heart to do it. And so to tell you that, set that scene for Israel, but also for us, and to continue, what is God's solution to that problem? This is when all these blessings and curses have come upon you and when I've set before you and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you and return or and repent to the Lord your God, you and your children and obey his voice in all that I command you today with all your heart and with all your soul. Um, what Moses does here is he, he, the solution to that problem is repentance. That Israel, after they've experienced all those curses and that rejection from God, and it says, when you call them to mind, so at a time they will be reminded of the voice of God. They'll be reminded the promises of God. It'll be reminded of these blessings and curses and, and this promise here. When, they're, when they remember God in the midst of separation from Him, they will repent. They will turn back to God and obey. And it's really fascinating in this part from verse 2 through to verse 10 is there's, there's this pattern uh, to the text. And um, if I wanted to impress any Hebrew scholars, I call it a chiasm. Um, but there's none here. So we'll call it a pattern. And I've got this pattern on the screen. You can have that, Nathan. Um, and it, and what he, what he does, he shares, you will return to the Lord and obey completely. And then three to five, he talks of the restoration and you will be restored. And part of that restoration is you'll, you'll be restored in your fortunes and God will have mercy on you. And, but the other part is he will gather you from all the nations that you've been exiled to. And there's a sense of being far, being brought near. So that restoration is coming near to God. And then verse 6, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, that you may live. A very important verse. And then it goes on to, talks about the restoration again. Again, talking about them being restored, both in their relationship, but then coming from far to near and the nations being, being judged. And then in verse 10, again, it goes, and you will obey, and you'll return. So can you, can you see that pattern? Can you see that pattern? And in this pattern, what do you think the most important verse is? Six. It's not a trick question. Six. It's pointing to verse six. This is a very typical uh, pattern that's used in, in Jewish and Hebrew and ancient literature. The text is pointing to the most critical part of the passage is verse 6. And what it's saying is that we, we need to turn back to God. When we find ourselves separated from God because of our own sin and rejection, we need to turn back to Him. We need to obey Him completely. And God will restore us. But core to that whole purpose is there's something deeper that needs to happen. We can't will ourselves to turn back to God because we're the ones that have turned away from Him in the first place. There's something that we know what we should do, but we just don't do it. There's something that needs to happen in our hearts. There's something that needs to happen in the hearts of the Israelites when they find themselves 
exiled and separated from God because of their disobedience, because they've been running after other gods. God needs to work in their hearts. God needs to do something. Now, it says, the text says, God will circumcise your hearts. Now, what is, let's talk about what that means for a second. What is the heart? What is the heart? It's not just an organ. Well, in some sense, it is just an organ. But like conceptually, for when we talk about uh, our heart, we're not talking about an organ often. Now, in um, in the 21st century, when we when we you know 21st century, uh, particularly Anglo-Saxons, Westerners talk about the heart, we often refer to emotions. The heart is the seat of emotion. What we feel about other people. Like, my heart is for Emily. Emily has my heart because I love her. It's even more, as I think of it, it's even deeper than that. But in Jewish literature, it's not just about emotions. It's more speaking to the, the seat or the place of intent, of desire, the place of choice, of decision. It's... They, are, they didn't understand that there was, you know, mind was separate, body was separate, soul was separate, heart was separate. It was all one thing. A person is a whole person. And the heart is speaks to that whole person's direction, allegiance, trust, decision-making. And so when God says something to our hearts, it's not just, he's not doing something to our emotions. Although that's part of it. Emotions follow. What he's doing, he's doing something to our place of decision-making, our place of choice, our place of intent. Because that's what's caused the problem, is we've chosen to turn away from God. But God does something in our hearts so that we might choose him. What does God do? It says God will circumcise your heart. Um, Circumcision is a really fun topic to talk about in front of big crowds. Um, uh, so circum- circumcision was a practice done by the Israelite men, because women couldn't, um, uh, which I won't describe, but go, go ask someone if you don't know. <laughs> but it, it was quite, oh, I joke about it. it. They cut off the foreskin. Like, we don't need to be silly about it. Cut off the foreskin, which, you know, it's awkward to talk about it because it's, it's messy. It's very personal. Uh, it's, it's very ugly, um, very painful <laughs> uh, thing to happen. But it was this sign that the Israelites were to do as, as a sign of the covenant, a sign that they would be obedient to the covenant. And there's a sense that um, it, it was a sign of the covenant in the same way that often when covenants were made, they would take animals and, and tear them apart, split them apart, very gruesome. And may this happen to us if we were disobedient. And it's, it's a similar sign for the Israelites that may this happen to us, to that we be cut off, separated from God if we are disobedient. And so that for, for the Jews, circumcision was an external sign to demonstrate that they would be obedient to the law. The problem was, they weren't obedient to the law. And what they needed, what God had to do was circumcise their heart. So the solution to Israel's sin problem the, and to the world's sin problem 
is not just obedience. I'll just do the right thing and, and then I'll be right with God. It's repentance. It's returning to God and coming to Him to make us right. And so God circumcises our hearts to change our hearts, transform our hearts. And, and this, the sign that was needed was a different kind of sign. It was an internal sign that enabled obedience, not an external sign that demonstrated obedience. Something that, happened, that had to happen from the inside out. Because the deepest problem for the Israelites, the deepest problem for all of us is our hearts are corrupt. And God promised to give Israel heart surgery and to give anyone who would come to him heart surgery. This, this idea is unpacked in Jeremiah 31, where Jeremiah talks about the new covenant, also looking into the future for Israel. And he says from verse 33, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put the law in their minds and I'll write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbour and say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the greatest of them to the, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness. I will remember their sins no more. God promises to transform our hearts, the place of decision-making, that place of choice. He will write the law on our hearts so that the Israelites would not just obey the law out of obligation or out of fear, but obey the law because they love God, because they choose to, because they've been transformed. Now, both of these things, the circumcision of the heart and what Jeremiah is talking about, points forward to a moment in history where God, once and for all, circumcises our heart. What is the thing that needs to be cut off in order to transform our hearts? Jesus cut himself. Jesus endured a cross. Jesus went to the cross to pay the penalty of sin that we deserved. He cut himself off from God so that we didn't have to. Colossians 2 um, speaks of this. We're, we're jumping all over the Bible, uh, but it's hard not to, to see like how critical this passage is in the whole story of the Bible. So Colossians 2 should be on the screen. In him you were also circumcised, in Jesus that is, in Jesus you are also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands, Thank goodness. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off. So that part of our hearts that chose and decided and willed and intended to the flesh, like to ourselves, we served ourselves rather than serving God as king, we served ourselves. That whole self ruled by the flesh was put off, was cut off when you were circumcised by Christ. How did that happen? By being buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God and who raised him from the dead. Jesus circumcises our heart through his death and resurrection. And when it says uh, you were raised, sorry, when you were buried with him in baptism, it's referring to that Jesus was, he was killed and he was buried. And with him, our sin, that fleshly, stone, horrible, corrupted heart was killed and was buried with him. He took that on. We were buried him, 
with him. And then he rose to life. He rose again into new life. And with rising into new life, he gives us a new heart, a new purpose, a new meaning. And so Jesus circumcises our hearts through his death and resurrection, through baptism. That was, in a sense, Jesus' baptism, buried and then brought up. And so that's what baptism, as we understand it today, is a sign of. It's a sign of Jesus' death and resurrection and that being applied to us. Baptism, very controversial topic amongst churches, when we should do it, how we should do it, all that kind of thing. But the heart of it, baptism is a sign of that moment, the circumcision of the heart. Some people consider that baptism is the sign of the new covenant corresponding to the, to the Jewish practice of circumcision. But that's not true. It corresponds to the circumcision of the heart. And in fact, the circumcision of the heart is still relevant for us. That's what happens. Baptism is a sign that that reality is true. That we've been transformed, that we've been changed, that God has done something in our heart to make us new. And so when someone has a declaration of faith who puts their trust in Jesus, has returned and obeys and is restored, the the very next step is to get baptised. It's not something that you make a decision for Jesus, you put your trust in Him, and then you've got to work out your life to get to a good enough standard, then you can get baptised. That's not how it works. There is, there is the story of the Ethiopian who, who um, Philip was on the road with and the Ethiopian asked some questions. Then he came to faith and he turns around. He, there was a, a puddle next to him. He says, there's some water. Let's get baptized now, like straight away. And so I've got to put it out there. If you've not gone baptized yet and you trust in Jesus and the work he's done in your heart, then get baptized. It's the thing It's a thing to do in response to the grace and love and the work that God has done in your life. And for me, I grew up up in an Anglican church um, and I I wanted to get baptised, but it just wasn't something they did as adults. Um, And I felt, and then then I moved to a, Baptist church and even then I felt I'm, I'm too old for this and I, I've been Christian for too long it's like it's a little bit awkward now uh, that I haven't got baptized for so I've put it off for so, so long um, but I was talking to my pastor and he challenged me pretty much the same thing there's no reason to exclude us for baptism because we've forgotten to or failed to doesn't matter God forgives let's get baptized because I'm not ready yet Well, God doesn't demand us to be ready to save us. We're saved based on His love and grace. Let's get baptized. There's, there's the only reason not to get baptized is you don't trust in Jesus. But if you do trust in Jesus, the next step, the step is to get baptized to show that you've been buried with Christ and raised with Him in new life. Um, I was writing this reading this, thinking, can we have another baptism before the end of the year? I was putting it out there. <laughs> um, but back to our passage after that little tangent. Not a tangent, it's all relevant. God's circumcision of the heart. And, dem- and Christians demonstrate that with baptism. 
that internal change, that internal transformation. The impact of that, you know, Deuteronomy works through to verse 6, but it also works out of that. When God transforms our heart, He'll restore us. And then we'll be able to obey. We obey His Word, not because by obligation or whatever, but with all of our soul, with all of our heart. And then we, were, we turn back to God with all of our heart and with all of our soul. That transformation in our heart actually enables us to choose God, to, to obey Him, to turn to Him. And what's fascinating, I love this verse, in the end of verse 9, for the Lord will again take delight in prospering you as He took delight in your fathers. That when God saves us, part of why He does it, or a very big part of why He does it, is because He wants to delight in you. We often talk about what a delight it is to obey the law as Christians, that we obey the law and it is, it's a delight. We love the law. We love God. We love God and all of His goodness and greatness. We love worshipping. But to realise that God delights in me with all of my brokenness and, and mistakes and corruption, He delights in me. He delights in you when we trust in Jesus. This is the future that Moses lays out for Israel. They will fail, but God will restore them by circumcising their hearts. And this points to Jesus. This points and prophetically points to Jesus. And so Moses brings it back into the present uh, on, in the plains of Moab as they're about to enter into land. He brings it back to the present and gives them a choice. In verse 11 through to 14, he, he challenges them. Is this too hard for you, this law? Like he says, you're going to fail. Again, establishes that very clear. But then brings it to the present. Like, is this too hard for you? Is this law, these commands we've put before you, are they too far? Or are they too confusing? Or this is for other people, but not for you. Um, he, he starts with, you know, for this commandment in verse 11 that I command you to say, is not too hard for you, neither is it too f- far. And he gives these two analogies of like, is it in heaven that someone needs to come down and give it to you? Or is it across the sea so that they have to bring it to you so you can hear it? No. Verse 14, the word is very near to you, is in your mouth and in your heart. It's not too hard for the Israelites. They have the word. They, they know what they need to do. They know what they need to do. Information is not the problem. But even for us, we have the word. And, and again, even deeper, we have the word that's Jesus. Romans 10 unpacks this passage and shares how uh, Jesus is the one who's come down from heaven to bring us the word. Jesus is the one who descended into the abyss to to take all that punishment and judgment for us. Christ is near. Jesus is near to us. And so not only did the Israelites have the word spoken, we have the word indwelt in us. We have the Holy Spirit who brings us the word, teaches us the word, helps us to understand the word. We have all we need to obey the word, to obey the law, to live our lives in line with God's plan for us. 
Yet so often as Christians, we tend to outsource faith, outsource obedience. We rely on teachers and preachers to, to grow our faith for us. Um, and the challenge, and I'm challenged by this because I love listening to pastors uh, and uh, podcasts from overseas. Uh, there's this guy coming next year to Adelaide um, who I'm really excited about because he's a great preacher. I'm looking forward to go hearing from him. But I don't need someone coming from overseas to, to teach me the Word. I've got the Word right in front of me, as do all of us. One fascinating historical fact about Baptist churches, uh, I love Baptist history, um, is, and you, you, you'll notice in this room, there are no stained glass windows. There's something interesting about it. Why is there no stained glass windows? Um, and it's not because, we, well, for part of it very early on was um, because they didn't want to worship um, uh, saints or anything else. So let's get rid of that. But there's actually another reason why um, Baptist churches have a lot of really big windows. And this is a great example in here in Skylights. They, a lot of ba- the buildings that they built had massive windows and skylights uh, so that the inside the church was light and bright. And the reason was so that people could read the Bible for themselves. <laughs> really, like people could read for themselves, not just trust the priest or the preacher or the teacher or whatever, actually read for themselves the Word. And there's something for that. There's something in that. We all, to an extent, need to take responsibility of our own development, our own growth, trusting in God's work internally to transform us, but to choose to seek to obey. And finally, Moses puts before Israel a choice where we started and where we'll finish. He says, See, I've set before you Life and good, death and evil. And he, he, he says, like, there's a choice for Israel, for all of us. The most important choice we'll ever make. Are we going to obey the law? Are we going to seek God? Or are we going to go our own way? Are we going to submit to God as king and ruler of our lives? Are we going to rule over our own lives? He, he shows if you obey you by loving God, walking in His ways, keeping His commands, you will live. You will live. Obeying God, obedience to God leads to life. But the other choice uh, is, is fascinating, like really interesting to hear how he talks about it. If your heart turns away, your heart turns away. And you will not hear. Another understanding of that, you refuse to listen and are drawn away, deceived away, tempted away uh, to worship other gods and serve them. I declare to you today, you will, you will surely perish. You will not live long in the land you're going over to the Jordan to enter, Jordan to enter and possess. This calling um, disobedience to God evil sounds really harsh, but it's a rejection of the right rule of God over 
their lives. And that path leads to death and destruction. Rejection of God, the God of life, the God of good, leads to death, leads to evil. Jesus said it this way. He said, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. Whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but will have eternal life. Deuteronomy 30 gives context to that verse, doesn't it? We, many of us know that verse. Uh, whoever believes in Him will not perish, but will have eternal life. We love John 3.16. But if we keep reading... Jesus says a little bit more. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is all of us. Without Jesus, we stand condemned. Just like Israel, we've rejected God and turned our own way. Our hearts are just too quick to turn to serve ourselves, to do what we think is right, to others in the process. And we can't solve that by just being obedient, by just doing the right thing. We can't choose life because our seat of choices has turned away from God. We have a heart problem and we need a heart surgeon. And Jesus is the great heart surgeon. He's the one who can circumcise our hearts, transform our hearts so that we can choose to obey, not by obligation, not by force, but because we love God. Because because Jesus is in our hearts. He rules our hearts. He's changed our hearts. And we we have life In Him, not ourselves. And John, um, well, Moses, in the end of his verse here, he says, "Therefore, choose life." He can. He. He. He's. What's the outcome he wants? He's not saying this just to be condemning on everyone. You better. He says he compels his desire as as the leader of Israel. Choose life. Choose life. We want that for you. I want that for you. Choose life so that your offspring, you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying His voice, listening to His voice, and holding fast to Him. Not being drawn away, but holding fast to God. For God is your life. God is your life. The life that God promises, the blessing that God promises to Israel is God Himself. The life that God promises to anyone who believes in Jesus is God Himself. Jesus in John 17, uh, verse 3 says, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Life is knowing God. God is your life. Jesus is your life. So we have a choice before us. Two two options, two roads. One is wide and easy 
and the gate is wide and easy to get through and many go down that path, but that path leads to destruction. But narrow is the gate. In fact, there is only one way and narrow is the path that leads to life. And that way is Jesus. That life is Jesus. And life we can experience now with transformed hearts to obey, to listen, to hold fast to the God who loves us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for the words that Moses spoke to the Israelites thousands of years ago. And we thank you, Lord, for this passage and and how it speaks to the whole story of Scripture, the whole story of the Bible, that we have turned away from you, but you call us back and you make the way for us through Jesus. Lord, we pray that we would choose life, we would choose you. And that wouldn't be driven by obligation or because our family does it or because it's the thing to do or culturally it's the thing to do, but because you have come in and transformed our hearts. We pray we would believe in the name of Jesus and by believing in him, we would have life in his name. And Lord, for those among us who are yet to make that choice, Lord, work in our hearts. Work in our hearts. There's maybe so many different things that are, that are um, barriers or boundaries, obstacles to, to believing in Jesus. Lord, ultimately that's a work only you can do. So we pray you would work in our hearts that we would put our trust in you not in ourselves, not even in our self-righteous, in our own obedience to, to your word, but in you and the work you have done for us. And Lord, we pray through this, you would transform us. That this work would, would, would go from the inside out by believing you in our hearts. We would then obey and turn to you and be restored. We thank you for the great image the great um, excitement, the delight it is to love and serve you. But Lord, just to be a delight to you. What a privilege, what an honour. So Lord, we hand all this to you and entrust you to do that work in us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people, and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.